Hi everyone, I'm Paizo's design manager, Mark Seifter, and joining me here today is Paizo's entire design team, uh, who will introduce themselves now, starting from left to right, top to bottom, Jason. Hello everyone, I'm Jason Bullman. I'm the director of game design here at Paizo and uh, 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 kind of the, the, the ringleader of this, this, whole, this whole mess, this whole zoo. Uh, but I'm gonna let everybody else talk because they got a lot of great stuff to say. So let's, let's keep it moving. <laughs> All right, Logan, or act James, right? I said left to right, top to bottom. James, you're, you're in a different order. Hi, I'm James Case. I'm a designer here at Paizo. Um, that's it, I'm a designer. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder lead designer, and in the design zoo, I am the leopard. Nice. <laughs> uh, and I am Michael Sayre, and I am also a member of the design team, and I got to chat with some of you yesterday when we were uh, doing the Guns and Gears panel. All right, but what so animal today... are you? Oh, yeah, what animal are all of us? Um, Keep going. Anyway... We have too many things to talk about to figure out about the animals, so we'll just cogitate on that throughout the panel. We've got tons of great products to talk about today. Before we go, I do want to quickly reiterate the message that I made at the beginning of the, uh, the Guns and Gears panel to just um, please have passion with compassion, and we're thinking about you, and we love all of our fans, freelancers, media partners, everyone. So thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, and with that, we're going to start with a brief recap of Guns and Gears because that's an upcoming product. So take it away, uh, take it away, Mike. But before you go, let's take a look at the cover of Guns and Gears. Ooh. All right. Yeah, uh, you may notice our new Iconics there. Nalmika Ironsight, the Dwarven Gunslinger, and Droven, the Half-Orc Inventor, with his perky companion, Werp, uh, as they are being threatened by an incredibly large fire giant who is uh, definitely going to cause some problems for them there. This piece of art actually came from Jason. We all sat down together and we were like, hey, so uh, what should the cover of Guns and Gears be? And Jason goes, well, obviously they're in a fire giant forge fighting a fire giant, right? And we all looked at each other and went, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that obviously, yes, that is the cover of this book. It was probably the only part of this book that went quickly, smoothly, and was done <laughs> in like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I talked about Guns and Gears quite a bit yesterday, so I'm not going to get nearly that level of in-depth with it today. But if you want to know a whole lot about what's in that book, uh, please do check out the designer showcase for Guns and Gears that was uh, done yesterday. It's up on Twitch. If you found this video, you should hopefully be able to find that one. Um, and yeah, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about what this is. Obviously, this book has Guns and Gears in it. It is actually... Three books in one is the way that we structured it. There is a guns book, there is a gears book, and there is a Galarian book that are all kind of smaller sub books within this book. Uh, one of the reasons we did that was because there are some really kind of exciting but also edge of genre materials in here. And maybe you want clockwork inventors in your fantasy world, but you don't want guns. Or maybe you want guns but not clockworks. And so we structured this book to make it as easy as possible possible for you to have as little or as much of this book in your world and for it to be real easy uh, for GMs to implement and players to use what GMs want them to have on the table. 
this book has two classes in it, a returning class that has been reimagined from the ground up in the form of the Gunslinger, and an entirely new class that appeared in uh, Pathfinder for the first time as of this book, and that's the Inventor. Both of these went through a playtest where we got a whole bunch of great insights from our community that we have refined, implemented, as well as adding in uh, some really cool ideas that we had from the start that uh, would have maybe muddied the waters a bit for a playtest, but are a lot more appropriate uh, going into the the final version of the book here to give as many people as possible as many cool concepts and ideas as they want to play with. It's not just classes, though. We also have a wide variety of equipment in here. We have gadgets. We have crazy clockwork weapons like the backpack ballista and the backpack catapult. Uh, we have items that uh, can build your game world, you know, clockwork box packers and an electric eel aquarium. Uh, and we have tons of vehicles uh, that your uh, characters can drive and use to do all kinds of crazy things, as well as archetypes that support all of these new options. Obviously, we also have a ton of new guns, uh, and that covers everything from classic black powder muskets to combination weapons that are a fusion of melee weapons and firearms, uh, to magical guns and beast guns that are actually made out of taxidermied monsters and have some of those monsters' abilities kind of baked into them. Uh, the final portion of the book that I was mentioning, the Galarian portion of the book, that talks about how all of this stuff fits into the world, how these things interact with each other, uh, how firearms developed in different parts of world, uh, and how those developments eventually met and informed each other, uh, as well as even how technology from the real world that has crept into Galarian through portals and major events uh, have impacted the way that all of these things exist together in the world of Galarian. Uh, I think this is a really great book. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the work that all of the freelancers, editors, uh, and everybody else who touched this uh, book put into it. The art team was incredible in bringing this to life and making it look fantastic. Uh, and while I am the design lead on this, I wanna say I could not have gotten it done as fast or as well as we got it done without Mark Seifter's constant aid and assistance. Uh, and just you know, availability as someone to talk to as we plan this out. Uh, my favorite thing about Mark is that every time I look at him and go, is this too much? Mark goes, well, I'm fine with it, but you should probably ask Logan. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. Every, every person... <laughs> Every person on the design team really just brought so much love and passion and uh, added something that made this book better than it could have been with any one of us being the only ones to touch it. So uh, keep an eye out for it. It's going up for sale very soon. And uh, I'm really excited to hear what y'all think about it once it's in your hands. I right, correct can me. Can you give us, can no, you no, give us one spoiler from, from the book that wasn't in the last panel? Just one quickly. One spoiler from the book that wasn't in the panel. Okay, there is a very cool magical gun in this book that was submitted by, I believe it was Dave Nelson, uh, which has a uh, tiger motif. And when you shoot it, it does slashing damage and leaves wounds that look like tiger claws on the uh, the target. And I think it's one of the cooler kind of thematic magic weapons in the book. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the gun that shoots out portals. That one was cool, too. <laughs> I But I feel like there's art of that, and it's actually going to be coming up in a blog post in the not-too-distant okay. future. So. Well, that's pretty cool. So, Jason, you had uh, um, something... What? 
I just had a question. Is is that the first time we've released the the name of the Iconics and the name of the the the, the Goblin robot? Yes, I, I yeah. think it is because because okay. I've been sitting <laughs> on something that I've been desperate to show people, but I can't because it included the name. So I'm just going to show it now, real briefly, okay. just for, just for a second. Here we go. Here it is. Okay. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Needed as a reaction gift. Ah, uh, yeah. This was entirely <laughs> worth the entire panel. Okay. There you go. So, um, while, while we're with you, Jason, I think it's time for us to talk about the one product that, like, maybe people didn't expect us to talk about coming into there that, that's really cool. Um, a new game coming out called Goblin Fireworks Fight. And here's what the box looks like. Jason, so, yeah, Goblin... Away. Goblin Firework Fight is is a different kind of thing for us. It's not a rule book. It's not designed to be used with the core role-playing game experience. Goblin Firework Fight is a standalone game. It's a, a bit of lighter fare for us, right? You know, we, we generally provide pretty big, crunchy, uh, uh, you know, rule book, pen and paper RPG games. But Goblin Firework Fight is more like a party game. You and the other players are each uh, a goblin who is raiding the town of Sandpoint, right before the Swallowtail Festival, and your goal is to steal as many fireworks as possible. The only problem is the other goblins are going to steal from you, and to make matters worse, the, the chieftain brought uh, his favorite prize pig with Squealy Nord, who's going to hide in the treasure pile and occasionally pop up and cause mischief and mayhem. This game is played uh, really, really quite quickly by uh, drawing tokens uh, out of a out of a big pile. Everybody drafts tokens, but occasionally, depending on the token you draft, you can steal from other goblins, where all the tokens go in a bag and you steal at random. Uh, it also includes a deck of cards to kind of randomize up some of Squealy Nord's events. And uh, yeah, the whole game experience should only take about 20 to 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes to play, um, making it kind of perfect to put right before your game you know, if if your if your Pathfinder game is going to run thirty minutes late, somebody's running behind. You can break out Goblin Firework Fight and uh, and have a good time. Uh, this game is slated to come out here a little later on this year, I think November, but who knows with today's shipping problems? I, I think that's the target. Um, <laughs> but uh, they've they've got a they've got a sample uh, at Gen Con that we've seen, and it is it is gorgeous. So uh, I'm really excited for people to get it in their hands, and it should be a lot of fun. All right. So the next book we have coming up is is really exciting. Not only is does Book of the De Dead have Logan as the design lead, but it's one of the first times since like the very starting books that we get to see a ton of Jason Bowman content in the book because the cover authors for this book are Jason Bowman and one of the the shining stars in an already star-studded cast of Paizo's freelancers, Jessica Catalan. And so um, I'm going to have Logan and Jason talk to you all a little bit about Book of the Dead, but we're just so excited that, that James, Mike, and I are going to say a little bit each as well here. But first, here's the cover for Book of the Dead and Logan. Get us started. Curses. Now I'm unmuted. Uh, Book of the Dead is the first of kind of our new look at doing monster books, uh, where there's a bunch of monster stuff in it, but it's also heavily themed around the undead. 
and incorporating the undead and undead concepts into your game. If you like some of the stuff in Secrets of Magic about kind of the, the setting and then what the concepts of magic meant to the people in the world, you'll see a lot of the same kind of stuff in Book of the Dead. Uh, so for example, if we have a section on vampires, uh, there's a bunch of information about vampires. Uh, and in this case, if you look at that glowy ghost uh, fellow in the center of the cover, that is Geb, ruler of the nation of Geb, because, you know, why not just name it after yourself? Uh, and he's kind of our narrator for a lot of the uh, the kind of in-world text of Book of the Dead. So there's a lot of kind of fun flavor in it, tying everything together, but there's also just a ton of mechanical tools to put in your game. Uh, kind of the, the biggest chunk of those being a whole bunch of undead monsters. Uh, but uh, I also think it's... Uh, it's funny that Mike was talking about me kind of being the one to tamp things down. But then also in this book, it's like, what if you got to play as a ghoul? So uh, <laughs> so there's still some some extreme and, uh, and ridiculous and entertaining stuff in here. Uh, going back to what Mark said about uh, Jason and Jessica Catalan being the cover authors on this book, um, we've been working hard to kind of get a process where we can get more cover credits in the book to kind of uh, give a bigger platform to some authors. Uh, and I'm really glad that we got Jessica on the cover of this one. Uh, it does mean they both did a whole ton of work. Uh, and I'm sure Jason can vouch for, um, you know, how many uh, late nights and long weekends you had to spend kind of doing freelance work on this uh, to get everything completed, uh, including uh, from Jason, an entire adventure as the last chapter of the book. Uh, Jason, do you want to talk about your contribution some? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first of all, there's, there's so much great content in this book and my parts of it are only, only, uh, a fraction, a good fraction, uh, but, but still just one fraction of the book. And, uh, you know, I, I have always, uh, had a love for undead in my fantasy role-playing games. And uh, when this book was being outlined, I was just like, I'm going to write that and I'm going to write this and I'm going to write that. And so I grabbed a lot of the pieces that I have a kind of deep and enduring love for. So a, a big surprise, I grabbed, you know, write-ups for more types of skeletons, more types of zombies. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't resist grabbing the lich section either. Uh, and You, you uh, put I'm a really lich inside a lich. I I have a lich that contains multitudes. <laughs> there's there's a there's a new type of lich in here who has other liches folded up inside of himself and he is like a hive mind. It is ridiculous and incredibly powerful. There is a there's another type of lich in there who starts building magic items into his body, including a spell book that sits inside of his of its rib cage that it can flip through and cast spells out of. <laughs> It's it's ridiculous, and uh, your your players are really gonna hate it. Uh, but uh, I love it. It's it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, but in addition to kind of writing a bunch of monsters, I, I wrote some magic items as well. That was like a good half of what I wrote. The other the other half was an adventure in the back, and I don't want to spoil it um, because, frankly, it's still being developed. It might change. But also uh, because I really want everyone to get a chance to uh, experience it. And um, it's, it's an adventure that isn't quite like some of the other adventures we write. A lot of our adventures are like, here's a map, go to these locations, experience these things. This adventure, it, because, it, because obviously it deals with Undead, is so much more about tone and pacing and kind of 
growing a story and uh, exploring a space, uh, a small town that has gone eerily silent. And, uh, you know, so it's all about building tension and creating this narrative. And the great part about it is that means that every group is going to have a different experience with it. Every group is going to uh, have some different way that they approach the story, that they approach the narrative. And the adventure is kind of designed to kind of bring it all to a kind of gigantic, deadly conclusion. So um, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I can't wait for folks to get a chance to play it and hear the stories about what happened at your table with it. Uh, and, and, and I think that's it. I don't, I don't want to really spoil much more than that, other than, uh, you know, I, I, I put my cat in it. <laughs> I, I literally sent a uh, reference art of Rango along for the cat. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I did that. I did that. <laughs> so, Logan, do you want to talk about like what kind of the different sections are in the book and sort of the philosophy behind that? Yeah. The, one of the nice things about the book is that whether you're doing a campaign that is going up against the undead uh, and using them primarily as antagonists, or you're doing a campaign where the PCs are undead and they're summoning undead and being necromancers. This kind of contains both angles. Uh, so you'll get um, a bunch of tools for fighting undead, and then you'll get tools for being and playing with undead, including um, undead animal companions, familiars, and uh, a little something else I'll let Mark talk about in a minute here. Uh, and then it goes into all the monsters and then it goes into kind of some of the world lore about places that are full of undead. Uh, that part as well is written by Geb. So you get to kind of see like, what does Geb think about the Gravelands? And what does Geb think about uh, the, the forest of ghosts and spirits in Shen Men? And, uh, and then it gets to the adventure at the end. Uh, and there's kind of a cool progression where it kind of goes from like uh, the light side to the dark side as you read along, where you can kind of see like, you know, here are the people fighting against undead. Then here are, you know, you kind of get deeper and deeper into the grave as you go along. Uh, there's also, um, we've seen some of the sketches about the kind of panel border treatments and they follow along with that. It's going to be a really cool visual as you go along through the, uh, through the book. All right. Also, I want to point out on the visuals that there was a bunch of concept art by um, our um, in-house artist yep. Kent Hamilton that just made the the art just sing. It's so amazing. Yeah. Um, and since someone in chat guessed it when you said it, Logan, uh, since we were each going to the three of others of us were each going to talk about our very favorite uh, little thing that we worked on, Viscodge guessed it. Undead Summoner Eidolon is my favorite uh, because <laughs> I'm I'm a super summoner fan. It's got to be my favorite. Is going to be the Eidolon. Just the story and the lore we could do um, to talk about what does that even mean? You're linked to their life force, but they're negative energy, right? And you're alive, probably. Um, so that's <laughs> that's mine. Uh, what what would yours be, James? Um, I would say that uh, of what we have, I really like an archetype called the uh, Exorcist, which is an archetype that has everything to do with associating with haunts and incorporeal undead and ghosts. So the exorcist can, of course, obviously it can cast out possessing spirits, but it also uh, has this like spirit dwelling that it uses to kind of take in spirits who are lost or take in kind of the remnants of more powerful evil spirits. And then it kind of like purifies them, but you can also 
you know, send your spirits out uh, to do various effects. Like one, you know, has them wail in a cone to like kind of lament out their final feelings. And then after you, you've used the spirits, they kind of pass on peacefully. So it's this nice little kind of niche of this narrative ability where you have, can like talk to haunts and ghosts and that kind of thing. And then just a really cool way to interact with the undead as a living character, which I really like. And as a note, and your money should be on this anyway, if it's not the adventure, uh, The Exorcist was written by Jessica Catalan. So oh, um, Mike, um, <laughs> what is your favorite? So uh, when I was a teenager, I used to sneak out of the house uh, because I just didn't want to be home. I wanted to be out somewhere. And occasionally I would run into my grandpa Harris doing the exact same thing. We'd bump into each other at a bus stop or by a creek or a lake, and we would end up fishing and talking. And he would tell me all of these great Clinket ghost stories, uh, you know, that he had heard or knew and one of the stories he told me about was the little man in the woods where someone a member of a clinket uh, quan had wandered too far away gotten lost in the woods and died alone and since they couldn't return to the quan their soul couldn't become part of it again and so they became bitter and they would try to lure people out into the woods to share their fate that monster is in this book, and I did not write it, but I did get to develop it, and I love it, and I'm so excited that it is now part of our lore. All right, so um, since we're actually a tiny bit ahead of schedule, I asked people in the chat for questions, and Waters Leith, I think, redeemed a villain point or something and really wants to hear about <laughs> Tinica's mummies. So, Logan, I think you did, like, the, the biggest pass on uh, yeah. on those mummies. Can you um, just say anything about what cool mummy stuff is in the book? Because there's a lot. Yeah, the, the mummies are a pretty interesting section because there's a pretty wide variety of what it presents. It kind of goes from everything from, like, a mummified cat uh, to, like, a kind of classic... Uh, RPG style mummy that's, you know, a more powerful kind of priest version. Uh, but it also has some mummies that were like from different environments. Like there's an ice mummy in there that has some different, uh, uh, different abilities because it was, you know, made from being frozen instead of being kind of preserved by, uh, by chemicals and uh, embalming processes. Uh, there's also, that's one of the sections that got kind of a lore write up by Geb. Not every monster has one, but kind of some of the classic monsters have kind of a longer section and Geb talks a little bit about them. And then we go into kind of multiple, um, kind of iterations of that monster. So stuff like mummies, uh, vampires, uh, ghouls, uh, a lot of those have those write-ups and mummies has a, a really fun one, um, and there's going to be an interesting art presentation to those that I think people are going to find pretty interesting as well that I don't want to go into too much detail. Uh, but uh, I hope you all uh, enjoy kind of a little bit of a different um, look at these things. All right. And I will take and answer one more question since it was on a section that I just worked on. There was someone who was asking, is there going to be a sort of a treatment on the idea of a necromancer who likes to cast anime dead and maybe command undead like with the cleric command undead feed or something like that in the in in the book and the answer is yes uh we do have an archetype that's kind of focused on that as well as there's like a philosophical treatment about like what that even means that is like sort of connected to it um and if i remember right andrew white wrote that 
I remember wrong, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been a week. Um, so that will be the um, that will be the last question that we take for here. And let's move on to the next book that I'm sure a number of you have been waiting for so eagerly that you're you're already on the edge of your seats. So this book has a design lead of James Case. This is his absolutely first book as a design lead, and he's already shown himself to be so thorough and thoughtful of a design lead <laughs> that he's got everything planned out. And um, so this is Dark Archive. So James, take it away. We don't have a cover, so he can is just going to tell you about yeah, the book. Although we'll I have seen preliminary cover as of two hours ago, and it's mm -hmm. looking like it's going to go in a fun direction. So Oh, yeah. yeah. Wayne somehow Dark managed to get a sketch with very little on it that just delivers a lot. Wayne is great, yeah. Um, Dark Archive is going to be our summer release book for next year. It is, in some ways, a bit of a spiritual successor to what in 1E was a cult adventure, but it's quite a different framing. I, um, it's really like, this is our book about the strange and the paranormal and kind of what's on the fringe of what is possible. Um, it's called the Dark Archive, named after the Pathfinder Society faction. If anybody was active in PFS, they might be familiar. And um, and of course, now in PFS nowadays, we we don't have a faction really called the Dark Archive. So it's what happened to it uh, to this group that you know is charged with kind of looking for all of the mysteries in the world and tracking them down. So. This book is structured as eight folios, each on a different paranormal trope or type of phenomena. So we have things like cryptids, or we have things like temporal anomalies. And each one of these files has a nice lore section um, that goes over parts in the world where you may encounter them. And it's written from the perspective of these archivists in this paranormal research society. It has a whole bunch of options. Those can be options for the GM or options for the player. And then each one also has a micro adventure. Um, this is a really short uh, kind of one session adventure at the end that really dives into that paranormal trope. So basically we wanted you to be able to learn about the trope, get the tools to do the trope, and then like play out the trope at the end. And all of these micro adventures kind of link together into this larger and very and this larger narrative that spans all over Galarian. Like we have adventures in the inner sea, but there is one on Arcadia, there's one in Tiansha, there's one all over. And of course, this also comes with two new classes, which we're going to be, which Eric just announced yesterday and will drop for the playtest on Monday. Um, That's right. So these classes are the Psychic and the Thaumaturge. And First, let, um, let's take a look at the iconic psychic uh, while James, That's... while you tell us about um, the psychic class. Yeah, so, you know, when we had the idea of what are the classes gonna be, one of the things that everyone on the team has been very passionate about is not just what are the classes that we want to get out there into the game environment, but also what is kind of the way that we can get a book and then classes and have them all kind of support this bigger, you know, more, you know, more integrated, more holistic view on the trope. Like we wouldn't put the gunslinger in a magic book. We would put it in a technology book with all the guns. So we wanted to get two classes that look at the unknown. And so the first one we have here is the psychic. Um, the psychic is your 
is an occult spellcaster. So they use the occult list and they are spontaneous. They can cast their magic straight from their mind. Um, but beyond that, they also focus very hard on kind of what uh, what is it what does it mean to have all of your magic coming from this inside your mind you know where it's you're not really quite sure where it comes from so a psychic can choose whether their power comes from at now in the playtest we're testing their emotion or from like a more logical approach which will affect their casting stat and then they can also have another thing um, that's the subconscious source of their power and they can also have a conscious specialization um, this can be something like lifting objects or reading people's thoughts, you know, very, very kind of classic stuff like that and getting to the, what are the big key psychic abilities. Um, they have a large focus on cantrips and a lot of really to flesh out a lot of those like really unique psychic powers that uh, maybe aren't on the occult list, but we wanted to dive in a lot more for a class called psychic. You know, we wanted to have ways for you to lift up objects and throw them around in a bunch of different ways and to see glimpse into the future in ways that we wanted to make really tailored to the class. All right, so um, Cody Garrett-Wells has a follow-up question for you about this, James. Is this psychic magic, is it magic? Or is it like some separate thing that is not magic? Yeah, um, in our setting, we've always had psychic magic is a kind of magic. Uh, it's practiced in a bunch of places in the world, although it's a little less common. Um, but it, you know, it's a kind of magic. It exists within the magic system that we already have. Uh, you know, it's a cult. If you cast a spell, that is a spell and all that kind of thing. And the way that we uh, dove down on having it feel kind of different uh, than a class is it may cast magic, but it doesn't use, they don't use incantations. They use kind of, um, more specialized thought or emotion kind of components. So they're still casting magic. They're just doing it in a very kind of personalized way and with a couple more unique abilities that are similar to a, what a spellcaster now gets, but also a little bit different just to have them have a bit of a different identity. All right. I'm going to give you a couple more follow-ups here because we're doing well <laughs> on time. Both T4 Goblins and Draco Bahamut are wondering, was anything in the class at all, any of the abilities or options inspired by the Mesmerist in, in any way? Uh, the Mesmerizing Gaze feat was inspired by the Mesmerist. Um, uh, I know a lot of people have noticed this as we've put out classes in second edition, but kind of the way that the classes are structured now, you can get a lot more different concepts under the same umbrella. You know, people have noted that the uh, summoner can pretty much take over much of the spiritualist, if, you know, really, if not all of it, by having an occult Eidolon. And so in that same way, you know, the Mesmerist has a bunch of abilities that are enchantment and, you know, have to do with influencing the mind, which is very similar to what a psychic does. So, yep, they have a feat, which will be very useful if you focus on mental abilities, where if you make eye contact, um, that makes your spell more advantageous in a way, but you also take some penalties you know, to looking around you because, you know, you're you're staring straight into somebody's eyes. You can't really focus on what's around you at the same time. All right. So last one, and then we'll move on to me for the Thaumaturge. Uh, yeah. There seems to be a little bit of confusion in the chat. So just to, uh, to make the record clear, um, can you tell people about um, whether the, the psychic is spontaneous or prepared? 
what spell list it casts from, and then how, if any way, it separates itself from that spell list. Like, does it have a separate okay. list, like Elementalism? It is a spontaneous occult spellcaster. Um, they do not have a set kind of like Elementalist list. Um, they do get some abilities that are taken from some other spell lists in some cases, uh, if they make thematic sense. This is something like, um, oh, I don't know. This is something like there is one of the conscious minds is called the Distant Grasp. This is a telekinesis-focused one. So it has some more uh, abilities to create, you know, force constructs and pick things up that aren't on the standard occult list. But, you know, in much the same way how a cleric's deity gives them spells or a sorcerer's bloodline, we also, you know, we thought this is a, this is a telekinesis-focused psychic. It should be able to do all these kinds of things here. All right. Well, then let's move on to me um, talking yeah. about the Thaumaturge. Uh, so here's the iconic Thaumaturge um, on the screen yeah, here. There they are. They have so many things on them. <laughs> yes, there <laughs> yeah. they are. This, this, and... art is, this art is what happens when we uh, communicate to Wayne that having a large number of talismans is a key part of the class's mechanics. <laughs> I, I love this piece so much. I want to to call out the fact that, that there they are, because also when I said before that James Case has everything planned and figured out. One of the things that James figured out is that we need to know more about these iconics earlier and you need to know because this particular yeah. iconic is um, is they, them, non-binary. And we wanted you to know right away so that you know people wouldn't be misgendering the iconic for a while before by accident, before finding out about the iconic. That's just yeah. one of the many things that James fig has figured out in advance. Yeah. we. Um... And also the process for this, a lot of the time, I really want to give a huge shout out to Sarah and the rest of the art team, as well as Wayne on both the iconic sketches, because where in the past we've kind of had these ideas for an iconic, uh, for an iconic design, kind of while we're doing the character at the same time, um, we really wanted to make sure that the iconic's visual design, you know, that Wayne and the art team uh, work with us to create their mechanical design that we're doing, as well as the story that the author for the iconic character wants to tell, can kind of all come together at the same time. So um, these two iconics, both uh, the Thaumaturge here and the Psyche in the previous one, um, both have a lot of pieces specific to the story that their authors are telling, but also, uh, you know, that you can see their class mechanics uh, on them. And I think the really good example here is, of course, you can see in the Thaumaturge's hand that they have this really ornate lantern. Um, oh, so, Mark, do yep, you want to talk a bit in. about the lantern? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, it, it's it's really amazing how the art, like, helps inform the class and vice versa. And the process was really great, like James was saying. So I wanted to talk to you about the Thaumaturge class. It was both extremely inciting and actually extremely daunting because there's been a lot of talk, even after Eric's announcement of the class, about what this class is. So I'm going to make it clear, and you'll see why it was daunting and exciting. This is a new class. It's a new class that is based on the same kinds of source material as the occultist class. So you see, um, some people are like, oh, it's the conversion of the occultist with a different name because it's not a cult. But that's not exactly what it is. 
that means that there's like a tremendous amount of pressure on me and on this class. And I get that. And you know what? I'm here for that pressure. I want to deliver a class that, that, that you're going to love uh, that is based on those same stories and tropes, but is not the same class. For one thing, it's not a spellcaster. The thaumaturge is an extremely magic steeped non-spellcaster. The kind that you see in a lot of the genres that inspired the occultist, but takes it a step further. Things like John Constantine or a lot of urban fantasy, there are all sorts of like elements of mysticism and magic in the world, but the characters who are your protagonists in there are uh, other than some, you know, like the Dresden Falls, where he's just out and out doing major magic. A lot of them are a little more subtle. They're using different magical traditions, but they have a really big, sweet of different options and that's what the thaumaturge is the word thaumaturge means wonder worker and thaumaturges are a martial based class thaumaturges collect all sorts of magical items and traditions and secrets from all four magic traditions they are actually trained in arcana religion nature and occultism they not just not just occultism they're not occult um, and they know they can get feats that just like, oh yeah, this one has the primal trait because you use holly and mistletoe to like prevent someone from dying. There's they're magpies. They take from everywhere. They know kind of every secret and tradition, and they have a bag of stuff that can make connections with any kind of creature. And so, like, you know, obviously if you figure out that there's a frost giant, you can put something on your weapon that would make it do some fire right or maybe hurt those creatures that are weak to fire but the thaumaturge is more than that they use connections between things those mystical connections the things that make the world work part of the reason why like sorcerers with magic in their blood and oracles use kind of charisma to cast because they're they're a part of this thaumaturges are too and they're charisma based because they're connected they're connected to people they can use social skills they're connected to the magic so they use a charisma-based knowledge ability to try to figure out the deal of the creature that's around them. And if they do, they not only find out the normal recall knowledge facts, they also find out their weaknesses. And they wind up putting something onto their weapon uh, that makes them hit the creature's weakness. And if it has no weakness, well, uh, at that point, they are going to wind up making a bespoke weakness that's based on their connection so that's kind of the shtick also by the way if you fail well you know your bag is full of a lot of things spend more interact action just pour a bunch of stuff onto it one of them will be their weakness right so we know that you might fail the check and we don't want you to not get your cool thing so you get your cool thing um you also have special implements and i did a lot of research on like symbology of implements in a variety of different magical traditions and um Basically, these implements, they, they aren't just exactly what they seem. Like, weapon is one of the implements, but it doesn't just stand for, I attack you. Weapons sort of just stand for the idea of conflict or interjection. Um, and so each of these implements is going to give you a special ability, and then more special abilities that you can pick up later on. You eventually get up to three implements because rule of threes is one of those rules the Thaumaturge follows. And um, we're going to play test the lantern. Like James said, that's the one that Iconic is holding. It's about revealing. 
Um, and then there's there's more. I, obviously, I said there's the weapon. There's an amulet that's protective. I'm not going to spoil all of them. You'll see it in the playtest. There's also all sorts of feats related to items. You can get more investiture than any other character in the game can get. You can make talismans or scrolls each day because that is what this class is. I wanted to deliver you something that was very magical, but was not a spellcaster. Like, literally does not have a spell DC. It can, like, at level 20, it can do some, make some kind of a miracle and just do a powerful spell effect using its class DC, but it, it literally does not even have a spell DC. That's what the Thaumaturge is. It's a little more complicated, and I know there are a lot of fans of the Occultist, and I hope that I am one of the fans of the Occultist. I hope this is a class that you're going to love um, but is a, is a new class that's deeply inspired by the things that I loved about Occultist while being a martial class. That is it for the Thaumaturge. So um, I actually didn't see a ton, ton of questions about the Thaumaturge, but I was also pretty distracted by uh, <laughs> talking about the Thaumaturge. So no, I, I think there weren't. So in that case, um, we made it through really well, everyone. I'm going to open it up to open questions for a few minutes. It can be about any of the topics that we've had up until this point. I appreciate your patience that I was only able to take a few questions when we were ahead of schedule. All right, let's see. Um, so this is an interesting one for all of us. Um, would the Ghostbusters Proton Pack fit better in Guns and Gears Book of the Dead or Dark Archive. I'm going to let the leads of those three books fight out for the Proton Pack. Uh, they each get one it part of it. Yes. <laughs> it is yes a valid answer to that question? Can, can, we, can we just say yes? <laughs> um, can you just say yes? I think you can. Um, we, we, we'll we put have one component of, each, of it in each book. Yeah. We have something that's very um, close to the trap in Guns and Gears. Yeah, no, that's true. And not only the trap, we have like an etheric ghostly disruptor gadget. Mm -hmm. So there's multiple things. Um, okay, I, I'm going to say, yeah, the, 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 the proton pack goes in Guns and Gears. The ghost trap uh, goes in Book of the Dead and the ghost buster goes in Dark Archive. Well, that's like right. That. Yes. That's really good. That right. Yeah. <laughs> Logan, that's Logan how you're the lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the next question from Zigiero. Um, so Thaumaturge was stated to be charisma based, but um, mm -hmm. uh, teams, can you talk about the key ability or key abilities of psychic? Uh, in the psychic, we said that they have two ways that they can cast. Um, one is an emotion based casting uh casting type that one is charisma there's another one that's your logic and precise and disciplined and you know having to keep your mind on lockdown so you don't accidentally blow up something next to you uh that one is called precise discipline and that one is intelligence based so you can choose your casting set based on what you set as your subconscious mind all right so i'm getting some delayed questions that are about the thaumaturge do they have rituals they actually not only have a ritual feat, they have pacts that you can make. Um, they're uncommon for now. Um, I, we have a question about it because you have to kind of, there's sort of some role play element that you made a pact with Psychopomps or Fae that give you a special ability, but then you have your end of the bargain that you have to keep. So yes. Another question is whether Fulu uh, will count among the things you can make with talismans. 
if they have the talisman trait, which most of them do, which most of them then do. yes. Yep. Um, yes, you can. Um, then there is another question here that is, um, will, will Thaumaturge need trick magic item to use items? Uh, they potentially would need trick magic item to use items that, that claim that they require uh, a certain spell list, but they have they have some they have their own ways with scrolls, shall we say? Um, there's another question in here that is asking about whether or not these classes are common or uncommon. What do you think, James? Want to field that one? <laughs> yeah, um, at present. <laughs> Um, at present, we're tagging the psychic as uncommon because the kind of magic is in Galarian, at least right now, is not really as well known. Um, it's not as it's not quite as common in most places. Uh, like what we had for the inventor and for the gunslinger and the playtest, there are parts of the world where psychic magic is a lot more well known, researched, and respected. Um, and those are places where, if your character comes from there, you you might start immediately with access to those. Um, these are places that you might think of. You know, Vudra is the birthplace of occult magic in our setting, and the region that kind of is a, you know, has a deep ties to Vudra in the Inner Sea region is, of course, the island of Jalmare. Um, they have. So they're quite familiar with psychic magic. Um, that's one, but there's also a lot of others. Um, we have, uh, up in the North, we have the Arataki and Varki tribes. They have a long history of kind of like mental communication linked to dreams. So that's another area. Um, as well as in Rahadum, where, you know, obviously having in a land where divine worship is outlawed, having a source of power that is capable of doing many of the same kinds of things, but comes from within the self, is obviously very, um, you know, might be better known there. And that's actually where our new Iconic comes from. He is from Rahadum. So you'll find out more about both the Iconics in a little bit on Monday, because we're going to include a little bit of both of their stories so you can get a sense of them. All right, next, yeah, there's if I can, a few questions. If I can butt in oh, for no, a second. Little Logan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention this. I, I think the the rarity of these classes was really a, a wide open question. It wasn't as cut and dried as Guns and Gears, where it's like, yeah, they should probably be uncommon. Um, and I want to reinforce that our playtests really are playtests. They aren't previews. Um, so anything in there, uh, we put our wildest ideas in the playtests, and sometimes we have to totally revamp them. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, we collect feedback that tells us people want to see something different. That's absolutely the case here. Like right now, they're uncommon, but they, these are very much ones we are not 100% certain that's the right call yet, and we yeah. want to see what people think. Yeah, and like All Mark right. said as well, the thaumaturge is common for now, but there's a lot of very narrative-heavy feats. Things like the Pact of Fae Glamour is, you know, the feat is like you made a pact with Fae, and they give you these abilities, but also you have to offer Fae hospitality. And it's like, there's so much narrative meat on that that it should kind of be part of your character's story and the thing that you talk to with your GM. All right, so there's a couple more I'm going to answer quickly on Thaumaturge. Are they a focus caster? No, they are a non-spell caster. They do not even have a spell DC. There's a few people who've been, actually quite a few were asking, like, can you do kind of some of the things the Inquisitor can do with the Thaumaturge? And Thaumaturges have all four traditions. Some of their abilities are flat out divine. Like, they have one that, um, from the mind of James Case, where you kind of, like, put together actually some icons. 
Yeah. Oh, it's kind of actually else? from the mind of Michael Sayer by way of the movie The Mummy, which was <laughs> mind because of Book of the Dead. The Mummy um, to which Mike is, to James to me to the page. It's a, uh, it's a process, everyone. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a circle of life. Um, so it's like you put two like religious symbols from deities, and you know you make like San Rey and Asmodeus' symbols kiss, and it just shocks and horrifies divine beings. Yeah, um, you, and your powerful ships. Yes, yeah, you you hold ship. up two kind of opposed divine forces, and it causes like disharmony, especially in yes. um, you know divine creatures like angels or demons, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And like Inquisitor, one of the things they did before was bane against creatures, right? And you're going to be mm -hmm. um, being able to hit their weakness. There's also an ability, a rule of three ability for the ability where you kind of find their weakness where you call up judgment out upon them or just call out something three rounds in a row which kind of is like inquisitors judgment in a thematic way and inquisitors were also super keen on monster knowledge so there are there's for the people who are like can i do some things that are like my inquisitor with this class you can it is not intended to be the inquisitor but there there happen to be if that's what you want to do you can now there's a question about Book of the Dead. There's someone who said that they know ghouls, vampires, and skeletons are among the playable undead options, but Logan, could you tell them one more of the playable undead options other than those three that they know? Um, so I think there are a lot of them that you can guess just kind of by the, the biggest types of undead and the kind of most popular classic ones. Uh, but one that um, is a, a little, uh, that you wouldn't be sure is in the category is you can play a skeleton um and uh michelle jones they, they put together a skeleton um, ancestry because... oh they did know that one jason <laughs> accidentally let it slip out at accidentally. Uh, oh i see <laughs> it looked like a mistake i don't know um okay. but uh then, then we'll 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 roll back to the question we got earlier uh, about mummies you can play a mummy as well <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, people in the chat love mummies. I, I think they're going to be very happy. I, since, I, since we're talking about the mummy, you can be Brendan Fraser or you can be uh, Boslu. <laughs> I I have a question. Who who for someone who did the development work on the on the skeleton? Can you? Is there a way as a skeleton PC that I can take off my own head and throw it at someone? Jason, we're we're not fully done with that section. It's like the only mm. section that we're not done with. And also chat. So you're asking questions. Hold on. And, um, we're not we're yes, not done yet, can. but we're, we're gonna put it on the list so that if I, you couldn't. We can add it as a feed, even if it's now. just a post-it note on the page. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. We're doing this now. This is this is a, this is a thing. All right. All um, right. So. Let me see. We don't have too much more time, but I think that we can answer a couple more questions. Let's see if there's something highlighted that's not about that. There is um, someone asking about the organization of Dark Archive. Um, James, how is it going to work if there's two classes and eight, and eight different case files? Are the classes just going to be in related case files? Or are they separated out? Yeah, the book begins with something um, I've been calling the Archivist Training Manual. It's a thing on kind of the tools of the agents of the Dark Archive. So that's where you're going to get the two new classes. Um, you know, a, a class that can perceive the unknown with its mind and a class that gets every single bit of knowledge together to combat the unknown are very much tools in the vein of the Dark Archive. So the beginning is the training manual. 
Then we have the eight main case files. And then we also have a number of what I have been calling incident reports, which are just these little one page elements about, you know, paranormal tropes that maybe we didn't devote an entire case file to, but are still really classic. And so each one of those is a, is a little report about something and then has a mechanical element of some kind in it. So if the report was about a certain cursed item, then maybe that item is written up at the bottom of the report. Awesome. So another one for you, James, can you talk briefly, because uh, we kind of did it about the Thaumaturge Iconic, what made um, this iconic site, the new one, special and like really made there be like this this drive to have this new iconic psychic yeah um i think the psychics in p1 came out as part of occult adventures so they had a lot of kind of ties to occultism and in this book the cast is a little more paranormal and so we updated the psychic both to kind of get a another character in somewhere in the world and what are places in the setting where psychic psychic magic is kind of happening right now, that sort of thing, um, as well as to show off kind of some of the more, some of the changed mechanics of the class. Um, this psychic is uh, a visual artist of some kind. And one of the things that we talk about with the, uh, the subconscious mind where your power flows from emotions is that your like your spell manifestations may not be, you know, magic lines and, you know, runes that show up. They might be things like, you know, vivid colors or feelings that flow off of you and that sort of thing. Um, so having a new character that was, that was kind of the concept of the character was created with the new mechanics in mind was a kind of a big tie. We can go there, especially if the old iconic sort of didn't match the new updated mechanics quite as much. We've seen that with things like our um, new Oracle, for instance, or some of the other classes as well. That's right. And James, so, um, oh, oh Mark, Jason. Before you get too further in, you know, uh, it's a thing in these panels. I just, I have a craving for spoilers. Uh -oh. I was wondering if everyone could give me more spoilers. Just okay. on, on your favorite thing that's coming out in the next year. I want more spoilers <laughs> more spoilers i don't know more. i feel like i spoiled the thaumaturge a lot <laughs> oh. more okay. um okay i will i will preface this by saying that dark archive is not coming out for quite some time um and a lot of things can change but uh i do know that especially with something like secrets of magic there has been a lot of attention on time spells and time magic. And one of the case files is in Dark Archive is on temporal anomalies. And so maybe there is some kind of, you know, mage that does stuff with time in it or something, something like that. No, no. Would you call I'll it a mage time? Maybe? I would call time. it mage time. Yes. That is, that is what I would call that. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's, that's good. That's good. But I, I feel like I need more spoilers. More! <laughs> Logan, spoil something. Spoil something from Book of the <laughs> Jason, Tech. These, Jason, the files are on the server. You can just go look them up anytime. I don't know why I'm you just gonna particularly need spoilers. Spoil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, 
<laughs> okay, so here's how the end of Jason's adventure goes in the Book of the Dead. No! So, <laughs> <laughs> you said you wanted spoilers. What do you want? Not that spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so some of the uh, the monsters for Book of the Dead, um, a lot of them are kind of, you know, uh, old monsters brought forward. A lot of them are expansions on existing monsters. There are also some new ones. And this is a nice place where you can kind of say, here's the weird stuff. Um, so uh, a couple of my favorites are we have like the skeletal musician, you know, who plays their rib cage like a xylophone and, uh, you know, does uh, does spooky, goofy uh, music because most of the book is pretty you know grim undead stuff we wanted a few more uh of the lighthearted things for a little bit of tonal uh uh balance um there's also one that uh is just a, a nervous system because you know we have the undead that's floating skin we have undead that are bones we have undead that are you know muscly with no skin so why not also do the nervous system that just floats around and zaps people <laughs> all right so <laughs> i do want to be mindful of our next panel but as penance for cutting this off, I will give one more spoiler, which is how about the hollowed necromancer that's good aligned using necromancy to defeat undead uh, is in Book of the Dead. So um, with that, I would like to thank all of you out there for joining us, everyone in the Paizo community, just in general, even if you, you didn't join us, I, I guess you won't see this. I'd like to thank all of my fellow <laughs> panelists for being here and going through all of this and just doing such a great job of quickly going through so many different products. I'd like to ask you all just, just one thing from this panel, which is to, is actually two things, to be sure to check out all of these upcoming rule books and the one that's not a rule book at your local game store and at paizo.com and to check out the playtest. It's starting right after Gen Con next week. I want to see you there for the psychic and the thaumaturgs and hear your thoughts so that we can find out more about these classes. Thank you so much and goodbye everyone.